Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are Kayla and Aaron, and we are here to chat triathlon, life, coaching, and well, everything else in between. Kayla is a professional triathlete, coach, and mom of two little boys. Aaron is an elite amateur triathlete, triathlon coach, and swim coach. So thanks for joining us today, and we are excited to be here. Before we dive in, uh, I want to just remind you that you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you ever have any questions for us, you can send them our way at whereyourfeettakeyou.com slash podcast. Keep the questions coming, guys. We love them. They uh, help us to ensure that we are getting you the information and topics that you need. And we, we like to be able to answer those and kind of create space for providing you guys yeah, what you want to hear. So thank you for you to those who have put in questions so far. We really appreciate it. And please keep them coming. Awesome. All right. Well, let's just dive right in. Aaron, how's your week been? Or I guess how was your weekend? I guess it's only Tuesday. <laughs> it's been good. Um, went out to Greer, Arizona this past weekend, which is about three and a half hours from Phoenix. Um and got some fun skiing in, um, which I really enjoyed and got to do some working out while there. And, um, that was a lot of fun. And then just, I don't know, just besides that, just been like every other week. So how are you doing, Kayla? Weeks kind of get, they get monotonous for the most part. Like they can be really the same, like over and over, which is good and always, but yeah. So um, I'm doing good. I got really sick randomly last week, like hit me really hard and really fast and came out of nowhere. Um, where I had some like really bad sessions on Saturday or Thursday, like went, went to the pool and was so cold. I was so cold. And usually that actually is a sign I should have thought about like that's a sign I'm not feeling very good. And then like went through my day, got my sessions done. They weren't great and started kind of feeling a little bit funky around dinner time. And then I was putting Baylor to bed and I came out of his room after I put him to bed and I was like, whoa, I was like, I got to go to bed. I don't feel good. Really don't feel good. I was dizzy. I was nauseous, like starting to like hot and cold flashes. And about an hour later, promptly threw up my entire stomach contents <laughs> and pretty proceeded to feel like complete garbage for about 24 to 36 hours. And yeah, so that was fun. Great way to spend my weekend. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds like a great time. Yeah, I I mean, I didn't, I actually only threw up once, which was nice, but it just totally wrecked me. Like I didn't eat for about 36 hours. I think I ate six pieces of toast. That's all I had. And so then from there, like my whole weekend, like I felt a little better on So Friday I did nothing. Like I literally laid on the couch. I like barely even had enough energy to work, like staring at the computer and trying to work was so exhausting. And so then Saturday I felt a lot better and I was like totally overestimated (laughs) my energy availability. I like tried to do a two hour ride and like a 45 minute run off the bike and I didn't do any of those. I cut my ride at like an hour 10 and I like walk jogged for 30 minutes. The 
after that when you haven't been able to eat you don't have the energy to do those things nor is it great i know and i know i know better (laughs) (laughs) i totally know better (laughs) (laughs) but i was just like actually kind of excited to work out because i felt so like garbage for 48 hours and i was like yeah i'm feeling good and we've got oceanside coming up right so i've kind of got this like looming over my head and I've got Texas coming up and I yeah. lost, like, I didn't do my four hour ride last week because I didn't feel good. I didn't do my long swim. I didn't do my long run. I, I, I missed like a whole week in a session, like time frame of sessions. And I was like, oh boy, like I'm behind. And if I do this, maybe it'll make it better. And I don't know. Anyways, I know better. But yep. <laughs> luckily I was able to start eating again pretty quickly um, on Saturday and, and Sunday. So I just focused on eating and like replenishing my glycogen stores. And then I felt a lot better yesterday. So it's good. I was able to get my training sessions in yesterday for the most part, pretty good. And hopefully today a lot better. I have a long ride today and I'm currently trying to decide if I do outside or not. For some reason in Spokane, I have a hard time making a shift from being on the trainer to going outside. Like when I've been on the trainer all, all winter, um, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be like 55 today though. So I feel like I should get outside. Yeah. Go enjoy it. I mean, maybe I that's just because I like being outside so much better than being on the trainer, but <laughs> I say you go outside. Oh, I, I a hundred percent prefer to be outside, but there's something about like making that shift in like this early like spring time frame that is really challenging for me. And I, well, I think a lot of that has to do with they don't sweep our roads here until like late April. And okay. so in the winter, the one of the ways, yeah, one of the ways that we help with um, uh, road conditions is gravel. So you've got tons of gravel and you've got debris and I don't know. I'm being a baby, really. Got it. <laughs> no I get that <laughs> so so we'll see I will hopefully motivate to get myself outside here but sometimes the bike's already on the trainer sometimes it's really just easier just to jump on it and do yeah. it yep but it's four hour, it's four hour ride and that's like three hour three, three to three and a half is like my max I like to do on the trainer yeah four gets tough so, I feel like my max then, is like an hour 40. <laughs> like, I will yeah. <laughs> Yes. But you come from a place where you, it's easy to get outside, right? Like, I guess. So yeah, there was sometimes training for Kona where I'd have a three hour session I'd have to do on the trainer because I couldn't start it until noon and it was just too hot yeah. to get any type of intensity. So there are times where I'll do it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. No. Well, and in those instances, right, like maybe the intensity, yeah, but on top of that, like you don't need to add that extra stress from 112 yeah. degrees of heat that comes into it. So. Yep. <laughs> and then what else do we got going on? I got a lot going on in my life. We uh, officially took pose- quote unquote possession of our new home in Arizona yesterday. Um. Congratulations. Say, quote, unquote, possession because we don't live down there yet. We're still up here in, in Washington, but that's exciting. Um, but it's leaving like 
the our house like we're we're renting our house I don't know it's just like this weird like we've got boxes everywhere and but we also don't have things boxed up and we've got a pod sitting in and we've got it's just a, our house is like this weird chaotic mess right now and we're renting mm-hmm. it instead of owning it I don't know there's just like these weird feels about it yeah it's a very weird transition that we are in at the moment um so yeah yeah it's exciting but also like wow we've got a lot going on how are we gonna get it all done sounds very chaotic it is very chaotic yeah that's a great way to describe it but it's a weird it's a weird chaos where it's like not like too chaotic like I don't know. I feel like I'm overly rambling about it, but it's not too chaotic, but it is like this weird, like nagging thing that just like hangs out in the back of your brain that you still have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but it's exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we got going on here. A lot of fun. Brandon's actually down in Arizona today doing, get checking out the house. And, um, we're going to be doing some renovations to it. So he's meeting with contractors and got a bunch of things lined up, um, to hopefully get the ball rolling on that so that we can move in at the end of April with, um, no, you know, not having to like live in a house that's being renovated. So, yeah. Nice. Awesome. All righty. Well, we've got some great topics this week. Uh, a couple of them really are kind of wrapped around this idea of like pre-race type stuff because the race season is starting to really kick off. I know for some people it did already kick off with like a Challenge Miami um, that was a couple weeks ago. Um, but we it really, really kicks off here in the, the Northern Hemisphere or um, the U S specifically, um, racing has been going on in kind of the Oceania area for quite some time, but, um, in the U S it really kicks off next week, which is kind of crazy <laughs> that it's next week, <laughs> um, with Oceanside 70.3 and Texas 70.3. Um, so I kind of figured we'd let's kind of just chat a little bit about, you know, first races of the season, being ready for them, pre-race nerves and um, stuff like that. Because I think a lot of times, and I know I'm like, have a tendency to do this too. Like, you know, for example, me, I've been inside all winter. My bike has basically been on a trainer almost the whole time. And it's easy to forget to do the little things that you need to do in order to have your bike ready. So, you know, maybe you need to go get it tuned up you probably need a new chain. A lot of times people don't realize that you really should change out your chain um, at least once a year, but probably more than that. Um, Maybe you need a new cassette, you know, maybe your bike probably needs to be cleaned up a little bit. Um, Maybe, you know, you need to just, you know, make sure that your tires, um, maybe you need to get new tires or um, tubes or anything like that. So just want to always go over and make sure that all of your, you know, mechanical style pieces are really set up. Um, the other thing you always want to make sure to do is have all of your nutrition ready. Um, get in your speed laces, buy new, new goggles, try on your wetsuit. If it's a wetsuit legal swim, um, maybe even swim in it in a pool, which is actually something I need to go do. Um, 
but really a lot of this stuff has been sitting around like make sure you have your race belt go find these things um you know because a lot of times it's been sitting around in a box like I don't even well I know where my race belt is but most of the time I don't know where my race belt is and those are things that you need and make sure you have all those pieces set up ahead of time and so that you're not you know race week having to get ready to go travel and then realizing oh my gosh my tire is flat because I my back tire is flat because it's been sitting on the floor for six months so um those are some of the things I recommend doing Aaron what do you like to do before so like You've got Oceanside coming up. It'll be your first one this year. Um, what do you make sure to get done before race season starts? Um, leaning my chain, lubing it up. Um, yeah. I don't know. Didn't really hit me that race season was coming up till yesterday. So I haven't till really last night at like 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but trying to think I don't know just making sure I have all my nutrition in my pantry and that like nothing's gonna run out in the next two weeks and that I have time to restock it all um put my speed laces in my shoes last week so starting to get those things ready make sure I know where my wetsuit is because my mom and I tend to share wetsuit so make sure that it's in Arizona and not in Chicago um yeah, but, yeah. her and I talked about that on our call last week <laughs> like, I need to, I think I need to go find that wetsuit for Aaron because <laughs> you I will think be, I have it, it will be a full sleeve Oceanside will be full yes. sleeve um yeah I forgot cold, cold. sometimes you won't want your sleeveless yeah sometimes I forget that I raced St. George and I definitely wore it at St. George so I have it somewhere <laughs> I just need to somewhere hate it yeah <laughs> yeah I my biggest thing with my wetsuit is I have a tendency to show up to race day and I haven't put it on in like months and it's kind of mm-hmm. dry and cracked and stuff. And so a couple things you can do for that is either soak it in your bathtub and like hang it up and let it dry or honestly put it on and wear it in the pool for half your swim or if you have a short swim or if the pool is cold um wear it at the end you know something wear it for a little bit just so that you can break it in a little bit feel it a little bit um you know they don't usually recommend to wear a wetsuit in the pool too often because the chlorine can ruin the wetsuit but do you need every once in a while to help break it in and get your body used to being in it because it is a different feel um wearing a wetsuit uh, can be a good thing to do um though i have yet to do it oh. because I'm always afraid people are going to look at me weird. (laughs) You know, I did just think of one thing that I do before the race. Um, I always read the athlete guide um, that's posted on Ironman site or whoever's hosting the race and then come up with questions and ask my coach. Since you're my coach, these questions might be handy (laughs) to other people doing Oceanside 70.3. So I figured I'll ask some of them. Um, So on the bike of Oceanside 70.3, it says in the athlete guide that you have to wear your bib during the bike. Do you yes. safety pin that you do. to your back? And do you nope, leave it there? Nope. The whole you time? still wear you leave it there the whole time, but you use your race belt and you just put your race belt on and it just kind of fl- it's a kind of obnoxious, but just kind of flaps around in the back. Um Okay. But it's not bad. But it's just a race belt. You, as if you were running, just do it normal, but you just have to put it on. And that has to do with that ocean side, you uh actually bike onto the military base. And so you 
they they want you to wear your your bib. This is not something that you do at a lot of races for the you know for a lot of you who maybe are listening. Um, you don't usually wear your race bib on your bike while you're biking. You just put it on for the run. But at Ocean Size seventy point three, you have to. Um, and so you just put it on normal as if you were doing for any other race, and then you just have to slide that on for um, for the bike. Cool. Sounds good. And then are the pass sections pretty clearly marked where you're not allowed to pass and when the, there's a speed limit? Yes, they are. Um, and obviously I have not done Oceanside before, but just from what I've heard, as well as from other races that I've had, do have had had bleh, have had speed limits before, they are very mar- clearly marked. One thing with Oceanside is I have heard from other professionals and other people that race it is that they are very specific and very strict about those speed limits um and 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 or times where maybe they want you out of your aero bars um whereas some races they it's more like a quote-unquote recommendation but at oceanside they are i've I've heard that they're pretty strict about it to the point where they may dq you because it is a disqualifying offense yeah yeah, they have timing mats where it starts and where it ends. And if they have you averaging over 25 miles per hour in that timing mat section, they DQ you automatically. Yep. Yep. Which so I would think they clearly mark it. Is... But... <laughs> yep. I believe they do. Uh, if you're an trooper and you are racing Oceanside, just really make sure you pay attention to those things. Um, yeah, these are good questions, Aaron, because these are important things to pay attention to and, and why it is important to always either read the athlete guide or go to the athlete briefing if you ever are concerned about any of these pieces. Well, those are my questions. Got to figure out the logistics of the race. Anytime there's shuttles involved, I get a little stressed out. (laughs) Um, I guess that's the other thing I do do before the race is trying to figure all that out, but haven't done it yet. Yeah. No, those are, and those are, you know, pieces of it and they can be stressful, but I always say one, give yourself extra time and two, like, it's not worth stressing yourself over it. Try to just focus on what you have to do to kind of get through it. And so that's why it can be, you know, really helpful to, you know, while you're there, right, you have to show up early anyway. So walk, walk through these pieces, walk through transition, walk from, you know, if it's a race, like for example, Ironman Texas, you have to, you rack your bike at one space and then you actually have to walk to the swim start. The swim start is somewhere else because it's a point to point. And so maybe it'd be important for you to actually physically walk uh, before the race from the transition to the swim start. So you know how long it's going to take you so that you aren't stressed about that. And you can give yourself that extra amount of time in the morning on race day to ensure that you're not rushed or feeling stressed because you always want to avoid those pieces. So, you know, Mm pre-race is it's important to pay attention to those things um, because you want to, those nuances can be really funky Um, and never be afraid to ask questions. I know at Ironman branded races and challenge branded races, the volunteers are great. They're amazing. They are going, they are, they've been well-versed in the pieces and they will be around to ask, answer questions for you. Um, and usually I have found if they don't know the answer, they go help you find somebody who does know the answer. And so never be afraid to ask questions of the volunteers. Um, they are, you know, they're usually really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so. But race season, racing's fun. Racing's exciting. I'm excited for it. It'd be really great to have it back. Um, so kind of with that, obviously we have race season starting and I know pre-race nerves are really, really big for a lot of people and kind of how we manage them and how we feel about them and think about them and kind of redefine those pieces. And so, um, you know, one thing to think about when it comes to pre-race nerves is I like to always think about how saying, well, actually, if you reframe how you think about what they are, then it can be really powerful because pressure, which is kind of what creates these pre-race nerves is perception, really like how you look at it, what you see from it, how you respond to it. And so if you can perceive that pressure and those pre-race nerves in a positive and productive light, then you actually utilize them for good because what nerves are creating is it is your your chimp brain or your critter brain that's trying to get you ready to do something. And that critter brain, it activates your uh, fight or flight response. And that's what those nerves are. It's the exact same response. However, you can either look at that response, that that kind of fight or flight type response where maybe your heart, you're starting to get the butterflies in your stomach. You're starting to, your heart feels like it's starting to race a little bit fast when you think about it, or maybe you kind of start to hyperventilate a little bit, or your brain starts to go a little bit crazy and you've got all these thoughts and crazy things going on. And, but if you start to turn how you look at that into a positive and productive way, then what you actually do is you realize that your body is priming yourself to be great. Because in order to do these exercises, swim, bike, run, we need our heart rate to increase. We need our blood to, our capillaries to dilate and to like flow everywhere for lack of better terms. We even want our respiration to increase. That is priming our nervous system to activate. And so when we look at it from that angle, actually previous nerves are getting you ready, but they can be challenging to manage. So how do you how do you deal with nerves Erin? what works for you well one thing i always tell my swimmers is (laughs) no one thing i always tell my swimmers is that nerves or this like feeling of anxiety is basically the same feelings that come with excitement like your heart goes up you get like kind of twitchy and jittery and um your breathing starts getting faster but those feelings like those physical things can also just be the physical signs of excitement. So like just telling yourself like, oh, wow, like I'm really excited for this race instead of, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. Um, I think that can make a big difference. And that's kind of what I do. Um, The other thing I do on race day to deal with my nerves is I just have a very set dynamic warm up that I do and I put music in and I do my dynamic dynamic warm up, but I also dance around to the music. Um, so yeah. that's something I've used for you're creating, you're while, creating energy. Just, you're yep. Creating energy, just really channeling that excitement. Um, just having fun at the start line instead of sitting there thinking about everything that might go wrong. I'm just kind of in my own positive zone. I think that's awesome. And that's a really important way to look at it because what you're looking at it is again, from a power of reframing. 
Um, that's kind of what I was talking about. It's like a way of seeing something different from maybe how it is that you are perceiving it, right? So when you reframe it, it's looking at it from a different angle because all behaviors or all actions that we're having have a positive intention. So again, kind of what you were tell your swimmers, right? Those nerves, that feeling is actually having a positive intention of getting you ready to go. And so if we look at it from that positive angle of excitement, curiosity, ready to rock and roll versus, uh oh, this means like everything could go bad. We are not going to do well. We're not ready. Then it creates a better way to focus on it. Um, so that's kind of how I like to look at it as well. Um, just really focus on the fact that nerves mean that I'm excited and that I love what I'm doing and that's more important. And really, I think the other piece that oftentimes when it comes to nerves is really grounding yourself in the actions that you've set into place or the focal points, like I know you and I have talked about this before, and this is something I tell a lot of my athletes or clients is when you create focal points to have something to think about, then it shifts your focus away from how you're, you know, maybe that, that negative thinking that is being portrayed with these pre-race nerves. And it allows you to only focus on those because our brains really can only focus on like one thing at a time in reality. And so if you're putting a productive action or habit into, into that focal window, into that, that space that you're thinking about, then you have no room to think about the fact that you're nervous. Um, and you and I have talked about that before on the podcast, like picking those things that we focus on for the swim, the bike and the run. And whenever maybe our mind starts to wander or we, we are nervous or we start having negative thinking, we turn our minds back to that. And um, then we don't have as much space for the negative thinking. That's a really powerful tool to utilize. Yes, it is. <clears throat> awesome. So hopefully that helps with pre-race nerves. Nerves are kind of funky. Um, but I think if you really think about them from a, I'm excited standpoint, I'm excited standpoint, then you get a lot more out of it. All right. Next question is from Haley and she was just kind of wondering, um, to, if there's advice to give others when looking for a coach. Um, and I thought this was a really good question because, you know, a lot of us have coaches or, um, maybe we want to get a coach and we just aren't sure what to look for. Um, and so she was just wondering what advice we would give to others when they're looking for one. So I'll let, yeah, why don't you go for it, Erin? What do you look for? And a better part um, that I want to add to that is for you as a coach, how do you like to coach? What do you, you know, what do you want to portray and do for your athletes, I guess? Um, well, my biggest thing is I think it's important to have a coach that believes in you. Um, I know when I first started working with Kayla, it was the first time in a really long time that I felt like I had a coach that fully believed in me and my potential and honestly thought that I was capable of more than I even thought I was myself. 
Um, and that's made a big difference in the way I train um, and the way I just look at this sport and what I'm capable of. Um, as a coach, I try and carry that belief into my athletes. Um, the other thing I want to do is make sure that my athletes are enjoying the sport. Um, for the most part, we're all doing this because it's something that we enjoy. Um, we're not making money off of it. We're just having fun. So if you get to the point where you're not enjoying triathlon anymore, or you feel like you can't enjoy the rest of your life anymore, that's like a big red flag to me. And I want to work with my athletes to ensure that that joy is always there. Um, so I guess when you're looking for a coach, I just think it's really important to ask them what their philosophy is and are they willing to work with you on the things that are really important to you? Um, like some people don't have seven days a week to train and being able to communicate that to your coach and some coaches aren't okay with that. So kind of setting boundaries for yourself before you're looking for a coach for like what you need specifically. Yeah. I think that last piece was really important because when you're looking for a coach, you have to also know what you need and what you want from a coach. So I think it's important for you as the athlete to sit down and ask yourself that question. Like what would make, what, what will make you feel the best about yourself? You know, is it someone who just writes a plan and leaves you alone? Because sometimes that's what you want, right? But, or are you someone who needs a lot of communication, a little more handholding, a little more constant pieces, you know, involvement? Do you, are you someone who needs tough love or do you need, you know, someone who's going to be a little bit softer? Like ask yourself what it is that you need in order to feel your best self. And then make sure you communicate that, you know, I say, you know, to the, like whenever I have a pre, uh, consult with an athlete, I always say, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in a coach? What do you need? What, what is it that you're wanting to achieve in during this time frame? Um, and that really helps me to be able to know if that's something that I can provide for them. Um, you know, or, you know, for me, I offer a couple different packages and if they, you know, depending on how they respond to that, I may push them in a direction of a specific package because I'll be able to give them, you know, what that is that they're, they're, they're piecing. So I think my number one advice is that like really make sure that you are ask yourself what is it you need and be really clear on that piece um, first. And you don't have to know anything about triathlon in order to know that Um, or at least have some form of idea, right? You of like, yeah, I I really am just looking for someone who's going to hold me accountable or I am really looking for someone who's going to push me really hard or I, yeah, I just want someone to throw a plan at me and that's it. You know, whichever way it is that you need is, is important and that needs to be communicated. Um, and I think that's the number one piece that, you know, you need to try to portray to the coach so that they can determine, yeah, I am going to be a good fit for you or not. Yep. Completely agree. That's piece. You know, for me, my, my coach and I, I haven't worked with my coach for since 2017. Um, and it's for us, for me, it's been really important that her and I are really collaborate. And, you know, 
especially because my life as, as her and I have worked together has gotten more and more complicated. Like I got pregnant and then I got pregnant again. And now I have two kids and, and, and now I'm a professional. Like it's, it's really evolved and it becomes more along lines of like me, us being very good communication and providing a really good kind of collaboration together where she's willing to listen to what I think I need. And I'm willing to listen to where she thinks that we need to go. Um, that's not always something that you like is necessary. Um, but for where it didn't always start out that way, but it's evolved into that type of relationship because of where I have evolved as an athlete. Um, I think so. But I really do think that both you and I would recommend to, um, you know, athletes that no matter where you are in their triathlon journey, a coach can be really, really powerful. Um, Yes, I think it's just really nice to have someone there, if for nothing else, just to take the thinking out of your everyday training, um, to have someone mm-hmm. that like just gives you the workout um, so you don't have to think about that piece, I think takes away a lot of decision fatigue and makes sure you're getting yes. in critical sessions while not ever overdoing it. Yeah, I agree. Um and I know for me, I think what you talked about at the very beginning where having someone that's going to believe in you, I think that's really powerful as well. I know that's something, obviously you, I coach you and that's something that is, has always been a big piece of my journey as a coach. And one of the reasons I wanted to get into coaching was because I always I saw the power in what kind of like choosing to believe in myself created for me. And, but I also saw how hard that can be sometimes if you don't have somebody else being like, no, I believe in you. I am here for you. I know that you can do this. We, we can do more or, you know, I, I know that you can push yourself in these pieces. Um, and just having somebody to tell that you tell you that they believe in you is really powerful because it's not always easy to believe in yourself. <coughs> um, so I know that's kind of what, you know, where if you take you, that's our baseline. Um, that's why I hired you as a coach, a junior coach, because I watched you over these last couple of years, learn to learn to believe in yourself a little bit more. And through that, have really blossomed as an athlete and be able to kind of portray that belief into other people. Um, and that, you know, I think was powerful. I do think it makes such a big difference. Well, belief is a really, really, really powerful thing that is, I can't remember if we've said this on the podcast before or not, but like I learned this and I'm taking this course and we are really talking about how change really does kind of start at this belief level. And they specified that the reason this is because it's actually the, the root of belief is, is two words. It's B. So B E right. Which is to make or cause and leaf L E I F, which is dear or valuable. Those are kind of the root bruises. So the actual root basis and foundation of the word belief is to make or cause something to become dear or valuable. And when you think about it from that angle, that is just amazing. And it's when we really kind of think about, Oh, I am 
by believing in myself or believing in somebody else, like we're talking along these angles, like as a coach, me really believing wholeheartedly in somebody else is hopefully helping them to feel like they are dear and valuable to me or to the world or to triathlon or to whatever it is that they want. And that can be life-changing. I know it was for me. Um, and we just want to, you know, coaches think it's really important to cultivate that and bring it to light. Awesome. So, yeah, if you're looking for a coach, I highly recommend getting one. Um, and more importantly, really asking yourself, like, what it is that you feel you need to make yourself feel successful and confident. Yep. And okay. Then uh, Haley had another final question. Oh, yes. Yeah, I agree with you. And relaying that to the coach because they can't, right? I, we can't help you if we don't know. Awesome. Okay. So Haley had another question that is kind of like moves away from the idea of that piece. And she said, um, this was kind of a fun one. Um, if you had the financial means and the time off of work and the stars align or whatever, one race would you do? So basically like, what's a bucket list race that you want to do? Uh, oh. Well, I really wanted to do Ironman Alaska, but that's not an option anymore. That was a one year event. Um, Yes. I think I'd really like to do Challenge Roth. I think that'd be just yeah. a really cool race. Um, and then maybe like Iron Man New Zealand or I don't even know if that's a race. <laughs> like somewhere else. It is, there. yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I agree with you. I have always wanted to go race. Like what I would love to do one of these years is like spend like because they've got like Ironman New Zealand and then some of the Australia, they all kind of like fall within like this two months, two to two ish month span. And it would be so cool to just go spend like one to two months and do like that circuit and race all the Australian and New Zealand or Oceania races. Um, that probably is never going to be in the cards for, for me, but <laughs> it would be really cool. <laughs> um but i also have always wanted to do like uh ironman i think it's ironman frankfurt i don't it might be called hamburg now but like one of those races or challenge roth or um yeah just race over in europe lanzarote is actually one i've always wanted to do even though it's really challenging um just looks so beautiful over there but i'd love to get over to europe and race so that's so expensive and unless somebody wants to sponsor me to do it, <laughs> not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> shameless, shameless call out here. Anyone who wants to sponsor me to go race over in Europe for a little bit. <laughs> uh, a problem now, now the problem becomes like having to feel like one thing, I think my coach and I even talked about with me, me as a professional, like a lot of times professionals will kind of make decisions at the last minute if they're going to go race somewhere. I can't do that with a family. Just, I have to be able to have time to either make the decision to go on my own or, um, you know, then we have to make sure that we have like 
people lined up to help watch the, the kids or that the Brandon is, is, a, uh, is home and he's not traveling for work. And, and, you know, we have to line all these things up or we have to make sure that the whole family can go. And then that means getting more than just a hotel room. Sometimes it means getting here, like so many more pieces involved with having a family and racing in general, and then racing at the professional level, it's even, even bigger. And I just can't be, I'm always going to have to be that person who kind of has like my race schedule planned out because I have to plan ahead. Um, which makes it challenging because a lot of times like these PTO races, right? Like they may not announce if you're going to be on the start list until like three weeks out. And it's like, oh my God, that's just so challenging for me <laughs> to do. Yeah. Yeah. The family aspect. Um, I mean, I feel like it makes it more rewarding when you do accomplish stuff that oh, 100%. makes get into the start line pretty hard. There's just a lot more, a lot more pieces involved, um, with it. So, yeah. Um, but okay. So next question that we've, we've, I, this is a question that we didn't have sent into us, but I get a lot. And so I thought it was a great one to kind of go over is if you are a newbie triathlete, what is it that you need to get started? Like what are kind of some of the most important pieces that we would recommend to, you know, get started in the sport? Um, you know, do they need to buy the $10,000 bike or anything like that? Um, so, um, yeah. What do you think? What would you recommend to somebody? So, <clears throat> Obviously, you need a bike if you don't have one. Um, yes. And I kind of watched. I think you need to sit down and really think about what you want from the sport and your likelihood of doing the sport long term. I watched my mom buy three different bikes until she finally found one that she liked because she just was like, oh, I don't need an expensive bike. I'll just get the $1,000 bike. I was like, oh, this bike's not good enough. I need the $4,000 bike. Oh, this bike's still mm -hmm. slow. Like I need the $8,000 bike. Um, right. So just like, like really looking at yourself. Like I know when I first wanted to do the sport, I was at the bike shop. My parents had given me some money towards the bike and the rest of it was going to come from me. Um, I was thinking, I was like, I could have gotten the lower level bike and I wouldn't have had to spend that much of my own money out of pocket. But I just thought about myself and my desires in the sport. And I knew before I even raced a triathlon that I was going to be competitive and I was going to go out there with the goal of wanting to win because that's just in my nature. And I still didn't have the money for that $10,000 bike, but I did get the bike that I can upgrade the components on it to the $10,000 bike mm -hmm. if I get to that point. So, I mean, we're slowly adding components, got new wheels this past season. Yeah. Um, but really thinking through that when buying your bike. I think that's a good way to think about it too. Um, because yeah, I think that's an important piece because it, it, I think it is important to know that you definitely don't have to get started on that expensive bike, but I didn't look at it from that angle. Um, cause I definitely went the other route as well. I, or the same route your mom and I, my first triathlon was done on my mom's old touring bike that she rode with my dad when they would travel. They, so they would, they would bike back, bike travel all through Europe for like 
two months um, before I was even bored. So it was older than me. It weighed more than me. It still had the rack that you could put travel bags on it. And I did fine. I did great. And I fell in love with the sport. But then I wanted another bike. And then, and then I constantly, like, constantly kept upgrading. Um, so I do think that's a really good point is to, like, really think about, like, okay, well, what do you want from it? Do you want... Do you want a bike that could do well in triathlon, but also might be able to just go out and ride the mountains in and stuff like that? And so maybe that means, okay, I need to get a really good, good solid road bike that I can use for a lot of different pieces. Or no, I want to get into it and I really want to be invested in, okay, well, maybe you do want to get a time trial bike because you just want to do triathlons, but you don't really care about like going out on road biking groups with your friends. Yeah, asking yourself those questions is really important um, and, and kind of looking at it from the whole range of what it is that you're looking for can be really helpful. Um, I don't, you know, I think that some of the important pieces to make sure you do have are, yes, you do need a bike. Um, you need to do need to probably get a wetsuit. Um, you need running shoes and the clothes. And I think it's important to look at more of some of the other pieces is ensuring that you are giving yourself the space to train appropriately. So maybe that means hiring a coach or getting a good training plan um, that will give you the time and the space to do it and looking at the nutrition piece of things. And then sometimes I think we always think well, to get started in triathlon, we just have to have the pieces, but when we're trying to create longevity within the sport, it's important to look at all the little other pieces that help you create that longevity. And so sometimes I think we have, should look at those pieces before when we get started in triathlon. Um, but at the end of the day, it's important to just get out there and try it. And if you love it and fall in love with it, then you can start upgrading as is. But we want to see people out in the sport. So if that means that you get out there on a road bike, that's what you have, do it. Yeah, put some put some clip-ons, aero bar clip-ons on it so that you're a little bit more aero and go for it. You can 100% do an Ironman with a road bike and do just fine. Um, yes, you'll be faster in a TT bike, but yeah. I mean, I think this year at Kona, someone did Kona with a basket bike. So anything is right, possible. So. Anything is possible, 100%. Yeah. I think, yeah, if you want to get started and you don't have the space for spending a lot of money on it, you don't need to. Um, if you do have the money, then I think there are some pieces that can be really important, like spending the money on a coach, um, spending the money on maybe getting a bike that you feel really comfortable on. Um, ensuring that you have good shoes that you are comfortable with and feel good for your feet, um, because those will help prevent niggles and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, if that's just not in your capability, it's not worth stressing over and doesn't mean that you won't have fun out there. Um, you will be very, you'll still, people are not going to make fun of you for being on those pieces. Craftland is a fairly welcoming sport. Like, like I said, I, I did my first race on borrowed bikes and never once I felt a little out of place, but never felt like it wasn't the people making me feel out of place. They were focused on their race and I was focused on mine. So yeah, my first couple of races were 
Um, very funny from, I had no money. I had no money at all. Um, and yeah, I definitely like scrounged together. Didn't, I didn't have a wetsuit. I wore an Under Armour shirt as my wetsuit. <laughs> even though it was September in Portland. Um, I didn't even have a normal water bottle. I used a blender bottle because I didn't have a normal water bottle. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the, the helmet that I used was from when I was in like, I don't even know, maybe high school or earlier. And it had dog chew marks on it from where our dog had eaten it. Yeah. Talk about like low end stuff. That is what I had, but I made it work and I loved it. I had so much fun out there and totally fell in love with the sport. Yeah. I had the bike, but the other components first race, I wore a two piece Jolin on the swim and just changed into tri shorts and a sports bra and transition. Um, my first couple of races I did with a camel back and just like you learn and you figure it out and you slowly over time can gather the gear. You don't need it to get started. Yep. It's just about having fun. Yep. And enjoying it and loving it and yeah, being present in it. I think that's the most important piece of when you're kind of getting started um, is looking at it from that angle. More important. And it makes it more fun too. There's no way to stress about those other pieces. You can, like you said, you can always add, add to them, you know, as you, as you go on. Um, I think the only thing I would definitely recommend is don't do what I did and wear a like 15 year old helmet that has dog chew marks on it. Buy an actual helmet because it's safety. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Safety first. Come on. <laughs> safety first. <laughs> Yeah. But I didn't I didn't know any better. I literally jumped into this triathlon like out of the blue because I was going through some stuff and needed an outlet for my life. And like I said, I had no money. No money. I was so broke. And I literally just pulled pieces together. Like that I think the only money I spent on that race was the entry fee, and I had to go get a gym membership so I could swim. That was it. Everything else was just, like, pieces of my life that I just owned from, like, everything. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was awesome. I still, like, remember it and think about how awesome it was. And that was yep. 10 years and ago. <laughs> did its job. You're still in love with the sport and doing it to this day. Yeah. And that's the point. That sounds awesome. We've talked about that before. We love it. So. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. So we have one last question here and um, it kind of fits into what we talked about, like with pre-race nerves of this kind of idea and reframing. It was, we've, we've briefly talked about this before, but it was um, question was asked of how do we look like, how do we look at failure? And like when our sessions go when things are not going as planned on race day how do we deal with that what is it that we think about how do we shift our thought process or yeah how do we deal with it so um yeah 
This is a good, I think it's a good one for you, Aaron, oh. for a couple of reasons, because you've had quite a few, uh, like flat tires and <laughs> stuff like that. And so like in those situations, how do you adjust and deal with it? Um, I think that it's really important to have process goals going into the race. Um, so when things do go wrong, there's other components of the race you can focus on. Um, I also think it's important to learn to let go, like take, I don't know, 10 minutes to be pissed about whatever's going on. Um, but then find a way to refocus. I think at my first Ironman, Ironman Texas, I got a nasty Charlie horse in my calf while getting out of the steps on the swim and had to be like pulled off the steps and pushed out of the way by volunteers as I'm like trying to balance on one foot and flexing my toes on the other leg to try and get the calf out and definitely felt it the first like 10 miles of the bike. Um, But just like letting it go, refocusing on the rest of the race. And then at Kona, I got a flat tire about 80 miles into the bike. Um, And up until that point, that race was going perfectly and getting the flat. Quite frankly, it sucked. Um, I was not happy. (laughs) Um, But what was I going to do? Quit? Like, quitting. Yeah. I think as long as you have the mindset, quitting's not an option. You can get through just about anything. Mm -hmm. And I changed my flat and I admittedly was cranky about it for too long. I spent the last 30 minutes of that bike ride being cranky as all hell. Um, My watt, I dropped 50 watts those last 30 miles because I was just in a bad mood and didn't feel like doing it anymore. Um, but you turned it around on the run and had a really yeah, good run. So, but coming into T2, I looked at the time and I looked at where I was and I was like, you know what? If I run this run, like I know I'm capable of, I can still break 11 hours and that will still be a really big accomplishment. So the rest of my, the race, that's that pro- I kind of just like process let it. goal that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, that I knew I had goals on the run, not just the bike or not just an overall goal with the whole race. Um, I had these goals and part of it for me was not letting myself give up on the run. Um, that was a big goal going into Kona because at Texas I did, and I walked way more than I needed to and just didn't have the right mindset. Um, but I had that process goal of like, Hey, let's like try and execute the marathon you know you can do. Um, and if you do that, you can break 11 hours, which was still a goal that excited me. Um, and I was able to do that. And I broke 11 hours. I think it was like 10.58, 10.59. Um, so I think being able to reframe your goals throughout the race um, and just like kind of let it go and focus on the next step once you get past whatever issue you're dealing with at the time. Yeah. I am like smiling inside because that is something that I have worked with you on for like the past year. And it just makes me so happy that like, that's something that you have like really empowered yourself to do. And I love that because you literally nailed it. Like it's so important to have pieces. Like when you're 
creating what you want out of that day, I always ask athletes like, well, how do you want to feel? What do you actually want? You know, what do you want to feel? How, what do you actually want to accomplish for you? Not what do you want to accomplish from an outcome standpoint necessarily, because let's face it, the outcome is not in your control. Kind of, you could get a flat tire. There could be people that are faster than you that you just didn't know were going to show up. The, the, the weather could affect it. You just could have a bad day. Like there's pieces that are completely, you could lose your nutrition. There's things that are out of your control. Whereas when you focus on creating process and effort related goals or micro goals within each discipline, it does exactly what you talked about. It gives you something else to focus on and create excitement or create, um, mm-hmm. you know, a desire. And that yeah. that's huge. And change the one focus cool point. thing. Yeah. And the one cool thing I knew when I kind of made the decision to refocus on that run is that I was going to cross the finish line and I was going to be proud of myself no matter what the time was, because I made the decision to reshift my focus. And that was something that I had spent the whole season trying to learn how to do. Um, So I think knowing how you want to feel at the finish lines, another big part, like I think most of us just want to be proud of ourselves. So giving yourself Mm -hmm. that opportunity to be proud of yourself at the finish line, even if the result's not exactly what you wanted, I think can make a big difference on race day. I love that. And that's exactly it. Like I always ask athletes, well, when you cross that finish line, how do you want to feel? And then you back that up. Like this is how you create a race plan. How do you want to feel? And then you back that up and say, okay, well, in order to feel that way, what do I need to do? What actions do I need to put in place? What do I need? How do I need to feel in the run? How do I need to feel on the bike? How do I need to feel on the swim? And then what, what do I need to do to feel that way? What, what do I, what action do I, what do I need to do? If you want to feel powerful, what makes you feel powerful? And then those are the pieces that you focus on. And that gives you the space to, um, yeah, like you said, reframe and reshift. And when things, you know, don't go as planned, because they definitely don't. I remember my first my first pro race last year. So this was like a big deal for me. I was super excited about it. Like I had worked so hard for years to, to become a professional. And I was at mile like 10 of, so I did Cabo 7.3 and I was at mile 10. And all of a sudden my bike wouldn't shift. Like I was stuck. I was stuck in the granny gear and it would not and then every time I would try to like get it into the next gear, it would completely like, like fall apart basically. And I couldn't figure out why. And so I, I ended up having to get off the bike and I was trying to mess with it. And what had happened is I had a big mechanical and that my, my front derailleur had shifted, fallen all the way down and got stuck in between my big chain ring and the frame. And so it wasn't allowing any shifting besides my granny gear and like one or two other gears. So I had this entire race where all of a sudden I had, had a, no power because I was in, I had to, had no, had to, no gearing basically. And that was really frustrating. And I did exactly what you did. I, like, I said, okay, well, allow yourself to be pissed about it. Like I definitely said some really horrible things out there, but then I said, okay, well, this is your first pro race. Who do you want to be in this Kayla? Do you want to be the person that doesn't show up? who just drops out? Do you want to be that person? Then no way. That's not who I am. 
And so I said, okay, what do you got to do? Well, you got to keep focus on your cadence, keep your cadence up because that'll keep your speed up. And, you know, I changed what I focused on um, and just set, got through the bike and then, you know, vented horribly to my mom in transition and then got on the run and said, all right, well, now we're running, like, let's run and moved on from it. So I easily probably lost five minutes on the bike, which made it so that I, like, if I looked at those race results, like that five minutes could have put me maybe into fourth place instead of fifth place, but that's what happened. And I was so proud of myself at the end, kind of like what you said, I was so proud of myself for not giving up, for not just quitting, for working through the process and giving everything I had and then going out there and just running my brains out to do whatever I could and moving on from it. And that race was awesome. Could mm-hmm. it have been better? Yeah. I easily could have gone five to eight minutes faster on the bike probably because I didn't have, wouldn't have had to stop a couple of times and et cetera, et cetera. But that's what it was. Yeah. So and that's really one of my having favorite things about long course. Is important. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things about long course racing too, is that it is so rare that anybody is going to have a perfect race. Um, So just knowing that when things go wrong, that it's likely every other person out there is, has had some issue or is going to have some issue with their day. Um, And it ultimately comes down to who can handle that the best too. And that's more of that competitive mindset. Um, But you can also have that mindset with yourself, just knowing that you're not alone out there and that other people are going mm-hmm. through similar things out there um, and that you've got it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think that's a really good point as well. Um, long course triathlon specifically, I mean, all triathlon in general, but really long course triathlon because you're out there from, depending on if it's 7.3 or full, anywhere from four to 17 hours, right? Um, it's about adaptation. And being willing to adjust and make changes. And, and that is about, you know, grit and perseverance. And when it, it comes down to, you know, really grounding yourself in you, I think is really important. So, yep. Awesome. Well, we're at a little over an hour here. So we will probably sign off for the day so that, you know, we don't bore everybody too much with our voices. <laughs> um but awesome thanks everybody for your questions that you sent in please remember to kind of keep sending them our way um again you can do that at www.whereyoutbetakeyou.com slash podcast or you can shoot them over to either aaron or myself on um, instagram as well um but if you could send them through the um the forum on the website that's where then i can keep them in the most organized space and go through them the best so um yeah thanks everybody for following along hope you enjoyed the um podcast and next week we will be yeah pre-race oceanside pre-race Woo! crazy okay awesome thanks everybody all right thanks everybody